Well, good morning. It is great to be in this church today. I tell you, as a former pastor, usually they don't let the preachers stay around. Jason, thank you for letting me stay around, brother. And it's always a joy to be back with you guys. I last four weeks, I've been in Richardson, First Baptist Church, and, and I like it there, but I love it at Fielder. So it's good beer. You know, there's a couple of things in the news uh, that I want to comment about. First one is my Texas Rangers. Amen? Don't we love them? You, uh, somewhere several years ago, a rocket ship came to this earth and took away my wife and left me a rabid Ranger fan. And she is crazy. And so here, a few days ago, she says, you know, Gary, could you get a ticket, a ticket uh, for the ball game? I said, well, let me go. So I went on SeatGeek and all that, thousand bucks sitting up in the rafters and, and I, you know, looking at that. But th one of my places I go is Craigslist. You got to be careful, a lot of scams there. And so I went to Craigslist and I saw the most unusual thing. It says, uh, it was from a lady and she said, I will trade my husband's golf clubs for one ticket. And I thought, what a great husband. Then I looked at the phone number. It was Sandy's phone number, all right? So I've uh, hid my golf clubs, okay? Uh, and uh, but love those Rangers and we're going to win in six. But by the way, the second thing is much more serious. And that's what's happening in Israel. And uh, we were there in September and uh, always aware that that place could erupt. And uh, my God, Yuval Shemesh, who's been with me for 25 years, uh, we keep up with him. They're in shelters. He and his brother Boaz. And uh, they had two good friends uh, who were murdered uh, in one of those uh, at that concert. And uh, there are two, uh, two young people. And wherever you'd be on world thing, we need to be praying. Uh, you know, one of the things we do when we go to Israel is talk about the fact that when God chose to come to this earth and reveal himself, he didn't go to Beijing or Paris or Africa. He went to that place called Israel, and we wonder why. Well, geographically, it was the land bridge between all the continents and all of the uh, societies. And so <clears throat> every continent did their trade right through that little land bridge so that coming through there, they could see Yahweh God at, at, in, in, in motion. And they could take it to the world just because of where they are. And through the history of Israel, uh, God has always tried to show things to the world. And, and you say, what is he saying now? Well, I, there's only one thing I've, I've uh, locked in on. It's a, it's a reminder to me that everything God loves, the devil hates. And it's, it's hate personified in some ways in that part of the world. You can't imagine, and yet you can when you see what's happened there. And yet, God says to you and me, if you love God, if I love God, he hate, the devil hates that. And the enemy is going to do everything he can to kill, steal, and destroy in your life, to keep you and me from being what God wants to do. Same thing with this church. Uh, the devil hates his church. God loves his church, gave himself for it. And so it, it, once again, it's a reminder that if you're going to be involved in loving God and being involved in what God loves, you're going to run head on into the devil because he hates it. But even as I watch what's happening, I was praying about it the other day and praying for Yuval and Dearman Boaz and their kids. And in fact, Yuval's kids could be one of those kids going into one of those tunnels. I don't know. I've been afraid to ask what's happening with your kids. 
so it's personified and not just another place. And so I said, Lord, what could I do? Can I go over there? And he said, well, you know, Gary, you can't do anything about what's happening in Israel. But this Sunday, you've got a sermon to preach. And you've got to do it in an hour and a half, okay? And so uh, uh, let's get started, all right? Uh, open up your Bibles. Uh, we'll catch the cowboy game about halfway through the, and see what's happening with that, all right? Uh, open your Bibles to Exodus 24. We, uh, Exodus has been divided into three sections to preach. We did one some time ago. And this is the final sermon out of this second section. And what we're going to discover in this section is we're going to watch Israel making promises to God. And one of the things you and I all know is what it's like to make a promise to God. If you go back a few chapters, they've been received the Ten Commandments. They've told how to live together, how to treat one another, and all kinds of things that they are to do. And we're going to find them making promises. And I'm reminded as I look at this, their promises are a lot like many of my promises. They're what was in the Mary Poppins movie called Pie Crust Promises. That's a promise that's easy to make and easy to break. And that's what they discovered is that they, they, they make a promise and not many days later they break it. And when I looked at that, I said, Lord, what is there within us that causes us to make these human promises like this? And, and, and I realized is we have a misnomer that by our own strength, by our own willpower, we can accomplish anything that, you know, they tell kids in school that you can be anything you want to be. Well, no, you can't, okay? Uh, I, I don't know many sinners for the Dallas Mavericks that are five foot ten, okay? And, uh, but we think by willpower, by strength, we can do it. And that's the way Israel fell. Now, you've got to know they were very sincere. They had just been rescued as slaves, they had just been taken from generations of slavery. They had watched the sea part. They, they had watched the army of Egypt be swallowed up. They had seen water come out of the rock. I mean, my goodness, they know this is a great God. And they, they, they're very sincere, just like we're very sincere with many of our promises. But they also are sincerely failed later on. And so sincerity isn't about it. We're going to look at what is the basis of this and what we're going to be doing in looking at this text is it's going to kind of have three movements. It's somewhat like a three-act play. And in the three acts, they're the same characters, but different people fulfill different roles. And so we're going to start with the very first part of this is what's happening right here, and then we're going to move it forward a few years and then a few more years. But we're going to start with Exodus chapter 24. Look at the first eight verses of this text. Then, by the way, after they had, uh, God had given them the law, uh, the Lord said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Behu, and 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar. Moses alone came near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near and the people shall not come up with him. And Moses came and told all the people the words of the Lord, and listen to this, and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Well, Moses then wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain. It had 12 pillar, pill, pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings, sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. What did Moses do with that? He took half of the blood and he put it in basins. Now, not unusual. And he took half of the blood and he threw it against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and he read in the hearing of the people. 
And he says, all that the Lord has spoken, they said, all the Lord has spoken, we will do it. We will live obediently. So what did Moses do? He took the blood in those basins and he threw it on the people. And he said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. What God was doing right here, he was certifying, he was confirming, he was once again with this group of people, establishing his covenant with them, his relationship with them. Now, when you use the word covenant, sometimes uh, it's not part of our vocabulary and nomenclature. What do you mean by covenant? Well, usually in in the human world, the, the word covenant means an agreement between two people, two equal parties, two landowners, two businessmen. And the two parties would get together, and what they would do is they would work out a covenant between each other, and they would both agree to do it, and they would do some things to signify that. Many times they would sit down and have a meal together, and that meal was a a signature that we're agreeing to this covenant together. But that's not the kind of covenant you're talking about right here. This is not a covenant between equals. This is a covenant between God and man. This is a holy God establishing the parameters of the covenant. And man's not sitting down and saying, well, well, how about this? Or well, here's what I think you ought to do here. Have you ever heard someone say that to you? You've said, tell me about your relationship with God. And they, they tell you something. You say, well, where did you get that from? Well, I, that's what I think. Well, you need to know when you make a covenant with God. It's not a negotiation. It is God, the covenant maker, sitting down and making the covenant. And God decides the parameters and and what's going to happen with that. And God tells us what the parameters of our relationship with him is going to be and the requirements of that relationship. That's because he's God and we're not equal with God. But also you see in this Moses. Now, Now, what was Moses? Moses was the mediator of this covenant. In the first act of this play, you see God, then you see Moses He is the go-between. He is the guy who's the go-between. What does he do? God speaks to him. He comes down and tells the people the words. He writes them down. He talks to the people. They know that he's representing God. They know that he's going to be, that he's been with God. They know that God is with him. And so he becomes the mediator of that. And the people listen to what he has to say. And so what does he do when he comes to that worship, that moment, the sacrifice? He's the one who does the blood. He is the one who sprinkles it on the altar. He's the one who throws it out upon the people. What is he doing? He is what is known as the mediator of the covenant. And in this covenant that he established with Israel, there's two things that happened that are very important because you're going to see these two things run all the way through this sermon. The first thing is the blood on the altar. The blood on the altar is appeasing God. God is a holy God, and he must be appeased. His wrath, God's very character, is he cannot live with sin. And so his wrath must be appeased. That's what the blood on the altar is for. The animal supposedly has received that wrath. And that blood on the altar makes God, appeases the heart of God and the character of God. But also, the blood is scattered on the people. Why? Because God is wanting to say to the people, your sins will be forgiven. And I'm scattering that blood upon you so that when I look at the nation Israel, even though you're going to be people that do so many things wrong, I'll always remember that the blood of the covenant is upon you. And although my hand would want to be against you, I withstand my hand from you, not because of how good you do, but because we have a covenant together. 
And Moses, in this very first act, he says that, and the people are excited about what's going to happen. And in this play, you find the people saying, yes, yes, God will do what you want. But then it moves to another stage. It moves to a worship experience. And look at verses 9 through 11. Moses, Aaron, and Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of God went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on them. Why not? Uh, the people of Israel? Well, because not in judgment, but he laid his hand upon Moses. And they beheld God. Now listen to this next statement. And they ate and they drank together. So again, you look into this and you see a worship experience. Now, I want you to know uh, the worship experience we have here at Fielder is incredible, but this place was going nuts because why? The God had come so they could see the God of creation, so they could behold the God of creation. And my goodness, they were worshiping like nothing we have ever seen. And they were describing to God their commitment to him. And what did God do? It says in this text that God allowed them to see him, and he had a meal with him. Now, I know theologically, uh, if, if you were to debate this with me, uh, you would say, wait a minute, the Bible says no one's ever seen God. Well, I want you to know, I don't think they physically saw him. Now, you say, Gary, what does the word saw mean? It means to see. Well, it says it saw his feet. Some people believe it's the pre-incarnate Christ. I, 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 I don't, all I know is, is they saw God and beheld God. Now, I don't know that they had a face-to-face -face with him, and, and I'll let Jason answer those deep theological questions, okay? And he knows the answers to that, but all I know is the presence of God was powerful and real. And what did God do? It says in this text that he ate and he drank with them. Now, you and I know that a meal is an act of fellowship. It's an act of friendship. And do you know what God was saying to this bunch of slaves? It's a bunch of people that made empty promises that he knew they would not. He was saying to them, listen, I'm going to spend all of your life fellowshipping with you. I'm going to be your friend. I'm going to be there with you. And even though there'll be times you walk away from me, there'll be times you disobey me, there'll be times you build a calf, a golden calf. I want you to know I'm establishing a covenant relationship with you. And I want you to know that I will walk with you. And you study the history of Israel through the Old Testament. Times they did wrong, times they did right. There's one thing that was absolutely constant. That was the fellowship of God with them. And the fact that God was continually fellowshipping with them. Listen to this, that God was their friend. Now, wherever you are today in your relationship with God, you may see God as this judgmental God. This God of wrath and angry. This God who's wanting to get you when you do wrong. Let me tell you what the God of the Bible is. God of the Bible is someone who wants to fellowship with you. He wants you and me to behold him. He wants you and me to be able to feel as though God's our friend. Now that doesn't mean we can manipulate him any way you want, but it means that this God is a God of friendship. This is a God of love and fellowship. And wherever you would be today, what we offer you today is not a God of judgment, but a God who wants to sit with you at a meal and enjoy fellowship with you and say, I know you. 
I know your successes. I know your failures. I know where you've been. I know where you're going. And I want you to know I want to put my arm around you and I want to fellowship with you. This group of people, they weren't perfect. They weren't going to be perfect. But God would be perfectly committed to his covenant of walking with him. And you can study through the Old Testament. And there were times that God was so mad, he just wanted to end it all, all right? But what did he do? He had a covenant relationship with them. And they felt that fellowship that he had with them and that relationship that they had with him. And yes, there were consequences to their sin. But you know something? Even though there were consequences to what they did, that relationship never changed. That relationship of friendship and fellowship never changed. So what we see is, is God has mediated this relationship and they're worshiping. And then he begins to speak directly to Moses once more. And he said, verse 12, and the Lord said to Moses, come up with me on the mountain. Wait there that I may give you tablets of stone and with the law and the commandment which I've written for their instruction. So Moses, what did he do? He rose with the assistance of Joshua and Moses, and uh, they went up the mountain of God. And he said to those elders, you wait right here because uh, Aaron and her are with you, and if you have a problem, they will deal with it. Moses went up to that mountain. These verses are incredible. And the cloud covered the mountains. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. The cloud covered it for six days. The seventh day, what did he do? He called to Moses out of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of this mountain in the sight of people. Can you imagine? They're watching all of this happen right up there. And Moses entered the cloud. He went up the mountain. And Moses was on that mountain with the Lord for 40 days and nights. God had a special relationship with Moses. He was the mediator of this relationship. Moses was not perfect, but I want you to know God had established that he would take this man, Moses, and he would go about his covenant with his people through Moses. And Moses had the incredible experience of scattering the blood on the altar and scattering it on the people and walking up into the presence of God. Why? Because God had appointed him as the mediator of this covenant. And the people would hear about it through Moses. And Moses would experience something not many other men would ever experience in their life as they went up into the presence of God. So you find in this text, you find again, God the covenant maker, Moses the mediator, the people of God responding and, and obeying what it said. But then you, you move to the next stage. As God has established this covenant, and for years Israel lived with that covenant, and we have all of that in the Old Testament, Old Covenant. But then 2,000 years ago, it all changed. It all changed. Yes, the same ideas of this play run consistently through what happened with Jesus. First of all, you have God. God establishing the covenant relationship. He decided, Jesus, my son, you would go to this earth. And you would become that sacrifice. You would die upon a cross. And there upon a cross, you'd receive the sins of mankind. And mankind can have a relationship with me through you. And you say, wait a minute. Aren't there other ways to God? Well, who's going to decide how you get to God? Are you going to let the religions of man decide? Are you going to let someone else decide that this is the way you have a relationship with God? And you buy into that? Well, in this text... We're reminded 1,200 years later, 1,300 years later, 
God sent his son Jesus to this earth, and God, once again, the covenant maker, not between equals, but between the creator and the created, God established the outline of this covenant. And he said, out of this covenant relationship, you can have a relationship with you, with me. But then he established a mediator. Did he go once again and choose a man? By the way, there are a religious group that, that, that believes that God used what was called the adoptionist theory. That God, uh, Jesus was not God. He was a man who lived and God adopted him. And the adoptionist theory said God chose him as a person on this earth to become the one who would die on the cross for man's sin. And that, that doesn't fit what God is doing. What God has said is my Emmanuel, me in the flesh, God in the flesh, Jesus would come born of a virgin, live a sinless life. He lived that sinless life and he died upon a cross. He died upon that cross, went into a grave and three days later rose again. And one of these days is coming back. Who decided that? God decided. He decided that Jesus would be the mediator of this new covenant that it would be Jesus who took the blood, his blood. And what did he do? He sprinkled it on the altar. What did he do in sprinkling his blood on the altar? He appeased God. He took the wrath of God upon himself. There on that cross, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The reason he was forsaken is God was pouring out the wrath of mankind upon him. And there at that moment, the wrath of God was being appeased upon that cross when the sinless Son of God died upon that cross. And there, the wrath of God was appeased. You say, well, how do we know God accepted that? Well, three days later, what did he do? He rose from the dead. <laughs> As a reminder that God has established the parameters, God has said that Jesus would die on that cross, and God has said, I accept that sacrifice. That is why... When we quote John 14, 6, some people think it's arrogance when we quote Jesus, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes into the Father but me. Some people say, well, that's kind of arrogant of you Christians to say there's no other way to get to God. We didn't set it up. We didn't establish the parameters. Almighty God established the parameters. And it was his decision to say to his creation, you have a relationship with me, not by promises that you make, not by the blood of bulls and ghosts, not by some ritual that you would go through in church. You have a relationship with me based upon the blood of Jesus Christ because it's the blood of Jesus that appeased God. And there on that cross, his blood was placed upon the altar in a way that God would accept. But you know what he also did with his blood? He scattered it upon those who would receive him. You see, Jesus' blood wasn't just to appease God. That blood, like it was at that moment, was scattered upon the people who would receive Jesus into their lives. And that person who would commit their life to Christ, at that moment, the shed blood of Jesus would bring to them what only that blood can bring, forgiveness of sin. Because only that blood appeases the wrath of God and the judgment of God. And what is so sad is historically people have mislooked at the blood of Jesus. In fact, in the book of Matthew, I could read a hundred verses on this. 
But there's one little paragraph that just describes it all. Matthew chapter 27. So when Pilate, verse 24, saw that he was gaining nothing, this was in the trial of Jesus, but rather that a riot was, riot was beginning. What did Pilate do? He took water and he washed his hands before the crowd. And he said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And the people answered, his blood be on us and our children. In other words, they were saying, well, let the, if this blood is wrong, let the judgment of God be upon us and our children. What is sad is right in front of the Jewish people in that moment, there was an opportunity to see the precious blood of Jesus bring forgiveness of sin forever. And no longer would they need sacrifices. No longer would they need all the ritual that they would do. Now the grace of God would come into their life. And what did they do? They saw Jesus' blood, not in grace, in forgiveness, but in judgment. Their idea was, well, if we've done wrong here, let's let the judgment of God come upon our lives. Let the judgment of this moment happen. And so what you see in this text is you see the mediator, God, sending his son, Jesus. And you see the crowd. What does the crowd do? The crowd rejects it. Because it misses what God was doing. God was establishing a new covenant. And that covenant was through the blood of Jesus. Now this play brings us to today. If that was true, 3,300 years ago with Moses, and was true with Jesus 2,000 years ago, what does it say to you and me today? Well, the characters in that play First of all, it is God who decides the parameters of our relationship with him. It is not mankind's best efforts. It's not some religious person getting in a cave and writing it all down. It's not one person who gets a vision someplace. God has established before mankind that his son would come to this earth and live in front of mankind so that mankind could see the sinless Son of God do miracles, walk on water, do all kinds of things, and then rise from the dead so everyone could see it. He established, this is how you have a relationship with me. And for 2,000 years, he's been saying that to people like you and me. You want a relationship with me? That relationship with me comes through the mediator, Jesus, whose blood appease my wrath, and whose blood brings you forgiveness of sin. And what we need to decide today is not what did they do with it back there, but what are we going to do with it right now? We can't change what happened 3,300 years ago. We can't be there 2,000 years ago. We can be here right now begin to ask ourselves some questions about our relationship with God. Let me tell you what the main question is. Not have you made promises. Not have you been baptized. Not what church have you been to. Not what set of rules have you lived by. But are you today under the blood of Jesus Christ? You say, wait a minute, Gary. What about this? What about this? God said it is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Nothing else. 
And it says today, it's very simple. It's very simple. That's how we come to God. And it said, if we choose another way, we don't make it to God. Because why? God has established the parameters. And it said to you and me, you want a relationship with me. The way it happens very simply is that you come under the blood of Jesus because it's the blood of Jesus that will cleanse you and me of all unrighteousness and nothing but that blood. And I would say to you today, if you, you've come to this room, you may have come for various reasons, various circumstances, but we all stand in one place. We're either under the blood of Jesus or we're not under the blood of Jesus. And if we're not under the blood of Jesus, the wrath of God has not been appeased and our sins have not been forgiven. But if we're under the blood of Jesus, God's wrath and judgment has been taken care of. He took care of it by placing it all on his son Jesus. So today... I can have a relationship with God because God's wrath has been appeased. And yes, all the broken promises of my life now come under the blood of Jesus and I have forgiveness of sin because of that. He said, well, Gary, okay. Put it in some simpler terms for me. Well, let, me let me just read one verse if I could, okay? It's found in the Gospel of John. It says it very simply. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Look at that verse. But to all, all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There's three verbs in that, that sentence right there I want to pick out. How about the word believed? What do you believe? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Lived a sinless life, died on a cross, and rose from the dead? That's what you have to believe. And you have to believe that He alone can bring salvation to you. But then the other one is receive. But to all who did receive Him. When we talk about a surrender of our lives to Christ, what happens? Jesus comes to live within us. And we receive it. And we become a child of God. And let me tell you what it also says about these broken promises. These broken promises that Israel could not fulfill, that you and I cannot fulfill. God did something for us. It's described in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit came to live within us. So that these promises didn't have to be broken promises. They could be promises that we could see happen because the Holy Spirit gives us the strength to do that. So it means to you and me today that it's not talking about my willpower, my strength, my ability to make it happen, to get her done. No, I have something living in me that they didn't have back in the Old Testament. I've got the Holy Spirit of God. I've got the supernatural power of God. I've got the same Holy Spirit that Jesus talked about. I'm sending someone else and greater things you will do. How can we do greater things? Not because we've got greater willpower strength because we have something supernatural living within us and if we live our lives dependent upon the holy spirit we'll see things happen in our lives we never imagined we never could have done on our own but we do because the power of god lives within us you see god gave them a covenant 
But then he gave a new covenant to all of the creation. And he says to you and me today, do you want that covenant in your life? It comes when you believe, when you receive Jesus. And at that moment, you become a child of God. And God desires to fellowship with you. You have the opportunity to behold God and see him and experience him and have his power within you. That all happens by the new covenant that God has established with Jesus as the mediator. So let me ask you today, are you under the blood of Jesus? You say, Gary, how do I go about doing this? Well, in a moment, we're going to have the pastors and ministers of this church and many of our lay people within our church who will be down here at the front. They're not down here because they have all the answers. They're down here to help you find the answer. And they want to say to you, the answer is Jesus. You want to come talk with one of them, maybe a place where you're struggling with this commitment. We want to pray, not that you'll have more willpower, that you'll learn how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll see the Holy Spirit work within you. But some of you today, you were to stand before God in eternity and he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? You would go through a litany of other things and never get to the one thing that will get you to heaven. I'm under the blood of Jesus. I'm under the blood of Jesus. And you could come today and we would love to show you how to do that. And what we'd also love is for you to be baptized as a testimony of that. That baptistry is not a work that we get to heaven with. It is that worship experience because of our relationship with God. And it testifies to the fact we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We believe in the washing away of sin. We believe in the death of the old life and now new life in Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is. Just as Israel was placed in that land bridge to show God to the world, God wants to put you in this baptistry so you can show God to your world and show your world that you know God. If you'll come and do that, we'd be glad to baptize you. Uh, Let's stand together if we could. Our ministers are going to come. I'm going to pray. After I pray, Reggie's going to sing. Then as God speaks to your heart, you come this morning. Father, thank you this day, very simply for the blood of Jesus, for the new covenant that we have. I pray, oh God, today there will be many in this room that want that new covenant, that new relationship with you. God, let it be done today for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing nothing but the blood. It's on the screen. God's speaking. You come forward this morning, would you?